Good morning. All right, let's practice. I want to release you from any sense of, well, we're going to be shy in here and we're not going to really speak out. So really, it will help me understand and know that you're actually with me. So good morning. Good morning. Let's do it again. Can you do better than that? I think. Good morning. Good morning. All right, you feel how good that feels to be able to come in here and yell that? So through the rest of this message, if you hear something that you agree with or that you think is important, you could just shout something out like, yes. Let's try that. One, two, three. Yes. All right. This is going to be fun. So my name is Stephen. I'm not Nathan Oates. I'm not the pastor of Emmaus. Um, if you are a guest and you came here hoping to hear a dynamic pastor of Emmaus, surprise, it's me. <laughs> Thank you. See how that works? This is going to be great. So Nathan and his mom are out taking a walk in Spain, and um, we're going to take some time later on to pray for them. But um, it was funny, when I was thinking about this message this morning, I was thinking about Nathan and his mom hiking through the Pyrenees, and, um, and I knew it's not like lost on them that we're meeting here today. And I, and I just thought, I know they're praying for us. I know they're praying for me. And um, this morning I saw Isaiah and I said, hey, nice haircut. And he came back up to me and he said, hey, my dad wanted you to know they were praying for you through the Pyrenees. It's it deserves better than that. If you want to stand up and say yes, you can do that too. Because we come here and we're so reserved because, well, there's reasons for that. We're, it's like, well, what, what's acceptable in this community? And if you stand up when nobody else is standing up, that's going to look weird. If I kneel down because the Spirit says kneel, but nobody else is, people are going to think I'm like holier than you, you know, and I'm doing this and you should be doing it too. We actually want this to be a place where if you feel the Spirit's leading you to do that, then you should do that. There we go. So, see if I can do this. The series that Nathan started a couple of weeks ago is the work of the church. And last week, he actually spoke on preparing for worship. What do you do before you come to this auditorium to prepare for this experience? And it was interesting because he pointed out there's baskets and there's signs and there's things like that and I thought I didn't even know that stuff was really here like the signs are out of my mind because when I walk in my focus is kind of drawn to this <laughs> that's right that's right so Nathan asked if I would take today's focus on the word so we've come here we've pre prepared to be here and now we do this thing where there's someone who talks to us about the word. So that's what I'm going to do today. My objective is not so much to teach you, because I'm sure there's people in this room that could teach me a lot about the Bible. 
Um, my objective is to move you. I'm literally going after your heart. Amen. Yes. I'll take that one too. Young Hebrew boys and girls at a very young age would be expected to memorize their, their Bible, the Torah, whole books of the Bible. So as they grew up, it would be fairly easy for them to hear part of a scripture and they would know in their minds what the complete part of that scripture was. So the part of it, the beginning, and they would in their mind automatically go to the rest of it. So if I said to you one, two, you would say? <laughs> we'll get there. That's, that's going to be a whole other message. Um, so it just comes out. Like they would just know it like that. Kind of different for us. Um, the last time I spoke up here, I did speak a little bit about the, um, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And for some reason, I'm going to do that again. I don't know. It's, it's one of my favorite Bible stories, but I think for us, for this time, it's a valuable story. We can gain a lot from it. This is a picture of a book that I purchased in the 1990s, so I know that was before some of you were born. Um, it's a children's book. It has just one chapter for many different um, classical stories. And um, so I purchased it so I could start reading to some of the kids I worked with and to my own kids to say, listen to this, get into this story enough that you'll want to get the whole story. Lots of times when I, um, after I became a Christian, I started wanting to read a lot, which was weird because before I was a Christian, I had no interest in reading books. And then all of a sudden, I wanted to read. And um, I'd be reading something, and then I would say to Patty, hey, listen to this. And I would go to her and read it. And oftentimes she was patient enough to listen to it, and, um, and then I'd go back. But there were certain things that I just, that I'd be reading. It's like, I can't hold this in myself. I've got to share it with somebody. And when I saw that there was actually a book and somebody gave it that title, I thought, this person knows that experience of reading something, and you've just got to share it with somebody. I missed the part about asking you to hand out Bibles. Does anybody need a Bible? Do we take care of that? Okay. Thank you. So this story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus is common for many of us. This church is named after that experience. So it's in the book of Luke, chapter 24. I'm not going to recite or go through or read to you every part of it because there are pieces I'm going to really focus on. Here's the gist of the story. Jesus has just been crucified. The disciples are scared. They're frightened. They're huddling together. Two of the disciples decide, for some reason, they're going to Emmaus, seven miles away. So they start walking down the road, and they're depressed. They've just seen their leader, who they had put everything on his shoulders, killed. And so they walked. 
And all of a sudden, another person joins them and says to them, what are you talking about as you're walking? And they're kind of dumbfounded because they're like, everybody knows what happened back there. How could you be the only person that doesn't know? And so they told him their version of the story. They told him, this is our experience. He was supposed to be a prophet. He was supposed to be a great man. He was supposed to save us. We placed all of our hope in him. And they killed him. And it says they, their faces were downcast. So these people are depressed. It, it was traumatizing for them. He then begins to explain scriptures to them, starting with the prophets, going all the way back to something they should have known. And he begins to teach them everything in the scriptures concerning him, which is quite amazing. He's teaching them about him, and they're walking alongside him, and they don't even know it. So they get to where they're going to stay. He acts like he's going to keep going. They don't want him to go, so they invite him to stay. They end up breaking bread, having communion, having a meal together. And once they do that, he disappears. But something changed for them. And what they said to, the, to each other, they said, weren't our hearts burning within us as he revealed the scriptures to us. It's a powerful, powerful story. They then turned around and ran back to where they had just come, where there was no hope. They ran back there to tell the others their experience. Their hearts were on fire. So in your notes, there's some of these questions, some of these verses, and you'll find some of the answers where there's blanks. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. Think of how sad they must have been. And then how do I tell somebody about why I'm so sad? Because what we just experienced was devastating. They start to say, we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to, the sent to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem us. Had hoped. They had hope, and it was gone because of what these people did to Jesus. In addition, they went on, some of our women amazed us, which I just thought this is probably something all the men in the room should really make it their favorite scripture. <laughs> just one? <laughs> men? Men? Do you know why the women amazed them? Is because some of the women actually went to the tomb and they were the first ones to see that no one was there, that the tomb was empty. And they ran back to give that news and the men really didn't buy it. 
they were like, okay, you're just being kind of weird right now, and we're used to that because you're women, and we don't trust it. That's not me. That's just who they, they were. I would have believed them, I'm sure, as you would. They said then, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? That's such a great phrase, that our hearts burning within us. I, I hesitate to tell you this, and I was asking my wife if I actually should say this, but I'm going to anyway. Um, I might be the only one in the room to, that really knows what it's like to be engulfed in flames. Because when I was in high school, between the summer of my, in the summer of my junior, senior year in high school, I was in an accident, and I was literally on fire and um, spent 10 days in the hospital because of that accident. And so I know what it's like to have flames coming from my body up over my head, and it was engulfing me. There was nothing I could do to get it out, and that was a bad experience. And I, I healed from it, and, and I was really well taken care of, but it's something I've never forgotten. I, I know that experience. But that's not the experience we're talking about. We're talking about a different kind of burning. Have you ever had that experience where your heart was burning within you? Yes? Yes? Some of my experiences... I gave my life to Christ when I, was, I took a walk with Patty at Zuma Beach one afternoon. And it was just this quiet conversation. But when I came back from that conversation, it was a brief conversation, but it was the one I needed to have, I was on fire. I didn't know what to do with it. I was such an obnoxious new Christian. Um, we used to go to Hollywood Boulevard and try to witness to people on Hollywood Boulevard, and the only way I knew how to do that was to put tracks in their you know, hands and keep walking. I thought I was just supposed to hand out some information, and you'll figure it out, and I'll keep going. But we did things that were so... I look back and go, we really did that? We went to the headquarters of Scientology and just walked in and said, who can we talk to in here? Because <laughs> we, just, we just wanted to talk about Jesus to people. There was a Bible store on Hollywood Boulevard called the Holy Ghost Repair Service. <laughs> Isn't that great? And it, it seemed like the bookstores, just this little bookstore, had some music, some books, some tracks. But it was so small, it seemed like it was just a front for what they were really doing, which was healing people in the name of Jesus. All the street people on Hollywood Boulevard. It was, it was just an incredible place to be around. I remember as a new Christian, we went to, one, to visit one church and we got out of the car and I noticed everybody in the, car, in the parking lot was carrying a big book. I didn't even know what, the, I was like, what are they doing? Am I missing something? Am I supposed to have a piece of equipment that I don't have? And I found out they're all carrying their own Bibles. It's like these people, they believe it. I mean, they are so into believing this and knowing this that they all were carrying their own. And I thought, I, I want to get mine. If you're supposed to have one, then I need to get one. 
I went to another church down in Southern California. It was a vineyard church. New experience for me because it was a huge auditorium. This would be their lobby. It was so big. And we walked in, and they had all these booths that you could go to and find out what things were going on in the church. And then there was a door, much like that door there. And you open that door, and it opened into the sanctuary area. Very simple chairs, stage, musicians. But the thing was, once worship started, once the first note was played, that door stayed shut because something was going on in there that was different from in here. It was powerful. And, and the people knew it. I mean, they knew when it started, that door shuts, and you're going to have to wait if you want to go in there. I went to a church in the inner city of San Francisco. It's called Glide Memorial. It's a very multicultural church. It's a new experience for me. Drove over to San Francisco, parked a few blocks away. Had no idea what I was going to find in there. But a block away, as we're approaching, I could hear a tambourine. And the closer we got, the louder it got. And I could hear other instruments. I could hear people clapping. And I thought, are we late? Because I thought we still had like 15 minutes. We got into the door where they were worshiping. They had already started. They weren't waiting for like everybody to sit down. They were just feeling it. Their hearts were on fire. And I looked around. It was packed. It was packed. People were standing up in the windowsills just to be a part of this experience. I was like, these people, I, I felt my heart was on fire just being a part of that community. Because I was such an obnoxious new Christian, I was like, Lord, just I want to witness to somebody, so please give me that person I could witness to. So where I, I was standing on a street corner, this person got off the bus, he's a, a little bit younger than me, and I thought, okay, this is the guy. It must be this guy. So I said, hey, uh, are you hungry? And he said, yeah. And we we're right by a KFC, so I said, oh, I'll buy you something to eat. And he goes, great. <laughs> and, and so I went and bought us something to eat. We sat down on the curb, and I'm thinking, how, okay, what do I do with this now, God? Show me what I'm supposed to do to, to bring this person to you. And so I said, so how's it going? How's your life going? He goes, I'm going through some tough times. And I said, do you know Jesus? And he took, out his, took his backpack off, and he said, I do. And he said, and he pulled out a Bible this big. And he said, I'm backsliding right now, but yeah, I know Jesus. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> thank you for giving me somebody that actually has a Bible and knows what I'm talking about. And it was, it was such a great experience because we invited this person to come and be a part of a Bible study that we put together in our apartment. Or someone, I think Patty's apartment, it wasn't mine. I had all these different experiences where, where my heart has been on fire. And I went from being that obnoxious, I want to tell you about Jesus and it might be a, offensive to you because of what I'm doing, to, gosh, I wonder if that's how I'm supposed to do this. I need to know more about this. Some of you may have seen this video. It's um, been on Facebook 
Nathan, when he and I were talking about this message, we talked about this video, and then we both realized we'd watched it several times. This came out last year, I believe. It is a group of Christians in China who just received a box of Bibles. A little bit different than us, right? We have Bibles back there that we hand out, and oftentimes people hand them back. I was asking Nathan why we do that, and he said one of the reasons is the thought that if everybody has the same Bible, then it won't take so long to find out where we're speaking from, and we can all be on the same page. One of the goals would be that if you need a Bible, you would take one, make it yours, put your name on it. We have such a different life experience than those people. I have a phone in my pocket that has several versions of the Bible on it that I can pull up at any time. I have several Bibles at home. I've given away Bibles when I thought, I really have too many Bibles and this person needs one. I grew up with a Bible like this on a shelf, which no one read. It was just there. I didn't even know what it was for. Another time my heart was on fire. I was, um, I was in my... Um, bachelor's program at William Jessup and the class was the art of interpretation and the final that we had to write on was the anointing of Jesus by Mary and so I did a lot of research on that particular story I ended up spending quite a few hours in their library which I thought this is like the best place for me there's books everywhere in there it's like I get to read all of these, or at least look at them. So the story of the anointing of Jesus is that he's at Simon Peter's house, and depending on the gospel story, let's say that Mary, in Mark's version of it, it's an unnamed person, other gospels say it's Mary, that she washed his feet with her tears, and anointed his head and his feet with an expensive jar of perfume. It was imported from North India. The, the disciples then saw this and said, isn't this a waste? 
This was my experience when I was in the library alone one Saturday afternoon. No one else was in there except the person that opened me, the door and let me in. It says tradition holds that this gospel was written by John Mark of Jerusalem. And the thing is, the gospel would have been written in Greek. And so the hearers of this gospel, they would have heard it through their ears, not something they read. So they would have been together and somebody would have read this gospel to them. So Mark's passage has an unnamed woman anointing Jesus' head with expensive perfume. In other gospel accounts, she is identified as Mary and she anoints his feet. The historical and cultural aspects of this anointing also heighten the larger implications of this beautiful gesture. According to the Oxford Dictionary of Jewish Religion, the oil was to be applied to each and every sacred person, conveying to them a quality of contagious holiness. So I'm, I'm standing up at a table reading this. No one's in the room. Whatever touches them shall become consecrated. For the high priest alone, the anointing oil was not merely applied, but poured on his head, which is something she did. Another profound insight of what the anointing oil represents is found in rabbinic literature, where the high priest is regularly called the anointed priest and refers to the priest appointed to address the armed forces before going out to battle. But even more fascinating is the statement, the rabbis interpreted that as a rule, Kings are anointed only at the inauguration of a new dynasty. Think of what that means. Mary's anointing Jesus before Passover. This would mean that as Jesus is, when he's at Passover, when he's ridden into town on a donkey, when he's on trial, when he's whipped, when he's crucified, he would have had the aroma of a king. They couldn't, they couldn't miss it because she put so much on him. When she broke this and poured it on him, what she was saying was, I'm not going to take any of this with me. None of this is going to be stored and brought back with me. I'm pouring all of this. I'm giving all of it to you in this one gesture. I imagine Mary's heart was burning to do this. What she did in that moment when her hair was down and she was washing his feet, she broke a few rules about women in that culture. That is not something that is done. And yet she chose to do it because something bigger was at hand. Her heart was burning to do that. Henry Nouwen, when he talks, he's written a book about the um, disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he writes this. So, hey, listen to this. We live in a world where words are cheap. We know this, don't we? We can look at political debates for three hours and go, gosh, there wasn't much value. 
they sometimes act like third graders. And these words are supposed to matter. And we're talking about the word of God. Since most of us have heard these words about the story, so often they seldom touch us deeply. We don't expect to be surprised or touched. We seek to understand and grasp the meaning without being transformed. We listen to them as the same old story. When Jesus spoke to the two sad travelers on the road and explained to them the words of scriptures that were about himself, their hearts began to burn, and that is to say they experienced his presence. When Jesus announced his kingdom at the beginning of his ministry, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. And then he sat down, but he wasn't finished. He rolled up the scroll, he gave it back, everybody looked at him, and he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Isn't that incredible? They didn't have to go out and do anything. They just had to hear it, and it fulfilled scripture. We often in our, our culture, we think we're going to hear this word and apply it at a future date. And the word is for our hearing now so that we will be transformed now so that we will feel his presence and know his presence now, not at a future date. <laughs> that might take a while for us to get used to this. You see, the disciples needed someone to join them to explain the word and to explain how Jesus was that word. Whether we read the book of Exodus, the Psalms, the prophets, or the Gospels, they are all there to set our hearts on fire, and they're all written for us to find Jesus in those stories. He's in there. But sometimes we are so um, casual, maybe is the word, about what we're going to find or who we're going to find. I, I know the Bible is full of mystery and it's hard to read. When I was going through that class, I kept thinking, I wish I had all day to research because it, it, it just set my heart on fire. But there have been moments where I have found myself standing on the edge of making a decision, standing on the edge of who I am, standing on the edge of, do I step off this? Do I, do I turn and go back and tell my friends and family, he is real, he's alive? It's what Mary did. She stepped off the edge of who she was and became transformed. The two disciples on the road they stepped off the edge of their sadness and their loss of hope. And they experienced the presence of Jesus. 
One more story. There's a story of Peter early on when Jesus is calling his disciples. He's been out fishing all night, and he has nothing to show for it, but he tried. Has that ever been your experience? You tried at something, and you have nothing to show for it? And Jesus says to him, I want you to go out again and go out deeper. And Peter's response is, but we've done that. We've got nothing. And then Peter responds with, but. At your word, I will. Isn't that a powerful statement? At your word, I will. That will put our hearts on fire. This morning, there is a very real possibility that on your journey, and, and we're all on different journeys, but there's a very real possibility that you will encounter Jesus whenever we as people of the text lean into this word. The word of God, the text we encounter is Jesus. So where will you encounter Jesus today? My prayer and my challenge for myself and for all of us is that we'll position ourselves today tomorrow, the rest of this week to hear his voice, to experience his presence. And so I ask you, I'm asking myself, will you respond as Peter did and say, but at your word, I will. Will you? Let's take a moment of prayer and just let this sink in for a moment. Father, I pray that you would transform us through your presence. Pray that we would be drawn to your word, a word that we so often misuse or dismiss. Help us with that, Lord. Help our hearts to be on fire, to understand and to be present. even in our sadness, even when our faces are downcast. I pray, Lord, that your presence would join us. You would explain who you are in our lives. And you would set us running with excitement and new life, Lord. Amen. Would you stand with me for a moment? We're going to...